All right, welcome back to Nerd is the New Cool. I am Justin, and with me, as always, is my good friend, John. How are you, John? Hey, everybody. Welcome back. <laughs> What's up, man? I, what have you been doing? What's been I going on? Tell you, well, I got to tell you, I'm super excited about this episode. Um, is there a better decade of television than the 90s? Maybe the 2000s? Yeah, I think that like if we're talking like quality of television, that's probably accurate. But as far as amount of hours I've consumed over my lifetime, and like the most nostalgic too, definitely. definitely well, and I think 90s. that's and and we talked about that while we were prepping for this episode. I think that has a lot to do with it. Like this, this, and probably the two thousands are are the you know the decades of television that are closest to us. So we have the most emotional connection to this decade and probably the next decade that we're going to cover the 2000s just because that's when we grew up well, i just when i was going through the list of all these 90s shows i was like watch that one watch that one remember that one it was getting ridiculous <laughs> oh no and I, yeah i was looking through the list i was like oh that one oh man I, yeah just kind of just kind of reminds you of all the television that was on which kind of pales in the comparison to the television that's available to you now yeah it's ridiculous there's there's so much there's so much content out there right now but Mm -hmm. and speaking of that what did you just uh what did you just get into what are you what are you up to what are you doing yeah yeah well i well i just nerded out on this pretty amazing show it's called schitt's creek and i talk about it all the time and I, and I, i don't remember if you've seen this yet or not have you i have not but i've heard good things like this has become our go to sleep television show because we've seen it so many times in the last couple months that we just we just put it on on Netflix and it just runs until it tells us are you still watching or we're sleeping <laughs> one of the two. Uh, so if, if you've never heard of it, uh, the show is basically about this rich family, Johnny Rose and his family, and they are they just go broke. Their 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 financial accountant stole all their money or misappropriated it and they are essentially at the beginning of the, of the show are kicked out of their gigantic mansion and forced to move into this small uh, town called Shits creek that johnny bought for his son as a joke for his birthday like years ago <laughs> <laughs> which is just funny that he bought a town for his son as a joke <laughs> like that's how much that's how much money they that's have how much money they have yeah 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 so it came out january 13 2015 on the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So it's, it's Canadian. It was created by <clears throat> a couple Canadians, Dan and Eugene Levy, who are the father and son. It stars, and I don't want to put this in any particular order. This is just the names you know the best. Uh, Eugene Levy as Johnny Rose, and you, you know him from like Best in Show and all those type of movies. Catherine O'Hara. I was going to say, I could keep naming all the different things he's in. I'm sure you've got plenty of different ones, um, but he's just amazing. Catherine O'Hara, speaking of, who are, there's in things together every time. Uh, they play a really great couple. She plays Moya Rose. And again, you may know her from Best in Show and some other things as well. Dan Levy as David Rose. He's in a bunch of random things. This is like his major breakout role. And this is Eugene Levy's actual son in real life. We got Annie Murphy, who plays Alexis Rose. Again, she's in a bunch of weird things. Chris Elliott is the mayor of the town. His name is Roland Shit. <laughs> which is kind of it's real it's it's such a juvenile joke. It really is, but it just totally works because they don't 
they don't overuse it they don't make it super like noticeable but every time he says his full name it's always in a really awkward situ- situation <laughs> and it's he, he you know him from like groundhog day something about mary even cabin boy maybe you've seen that i have seen cabin boy yes yes <clears throat> emily hampshire is plays stevie she's from the 12 monkeys tv show and uh, we've also got sarah levy who plays who's Eugene Levy's daughter in real life, and she plays Twyla Sands. So I, I've got to tell you, if you're looking for a good bingeable sitcom, <clears throat> this will will crack you up. And I we have we're kind of in we're kind of in the middle of things right now, at least as a as a couple. Like I'm nerding out on well, we can, we'll get into that in a second, but we are definitely looking for kind of the next thing that we can watch, like Megan and I can watch as a couple because she's got her stuff and I've got my stuff, but we, we keep burning through things because we'll find something good, but there's only like one season or two seasons out and then, and then we're done with that and then we got to find something else. So, Yeah, we, we've done the same thing. We're kind of, we, we were knocking out a bunch of our old shows we've been trying to get to for years and now we're almost done it's, and it's, it's like, what do we do next? <laughs> maybe, maybe the world will get started again and we can – yeah get back to normal but who knows but yep. <clears throat> speaking of nerding out on what i was nerding out on i've been nerding out on star wars the clone wars the cartoon show on disney plus right now and for those of you that don't know it chronicles the events that took place between star wars episode two which is attack of the clones and star wars episode three revenge of the sith uh it follows the the wartime days adventures really during the clone, obviously during the clone wars of Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. But it also brings a lot of new characters into the star Wars canon really for the, you know, for a lot of it is Ahsoka Tano, who is Anakin's apprentice and then Captain Rex, who is one of kind of the more prominent clones in the show. But there are a lot of others like people that you saw in the clone wars or maybe in the revenge of the Sith. And you didn't even know who their names were. They're all named and they're all a big part of this entire story. I almost did this one as well, but I haven't finished the whole series yet. So I I didn't want to jump the gun. I want to talk, I'll probably talk about it again in the future when I finish the entire last season that just came out on Disney plus. And we probably can because um, I'm still on season two. Yeah. So I have a ways to go. You burn through them really fast though, because they're only, they're under a half hour long each of them. So it's just, it, it can just be a constant cycle. So if you have a couple hours, you're going to burn through quite a few shows. Yeah. I'm in debut. No, go ahead. I was, I was going to say I'm in season six and yeah. And it, I was to add on to that. It just, add, it brings in so many characters that you see like in other films, like Canon, whether it's, this is like post episode two and you, they've, they were in a couple of prequels or even characters from like the original, the original trilogy and mm-hmm. characters that are going to be appearing in the Mandalorian. So it's just a really cool show that ties in so many different right. types of Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Um, it debuted October 2nd, 2008. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the final season debuted on February 21st of this year, six years after season six ended. So they took a long break between. It was created by George Lucas. And the supervising director is Dave Filoni, who actually directed some of the episodes of, or one of the episodes of The Mandalorian, or was involved in that production. And they also did Star Wars Rebels, which is another cartoon about a different period in Star Wars canon that I'll probably do next. 
that's on my list to do as well. It's supposed to be pretty great. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it I, it's so interesting. I feel like of all the shows or all the things that are Star Wars that have come out since Disney purchased it, I would say the cartoons and the Mandalorian are the best things. And mm-hmm. the movies, unfortunately, I don't think are. No. <laughs> no. No. Well, it depends on who you ask. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it stars Tom Kane as the narrator, who was in Halloween H2O, which was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> D. Bradley Baker does a lot of characters, but his voice was also used for American Dad, Phineas and Ferb, and Space Jam. Matt Lanter is Anakin Skywalker, who was in Disaster Movie and Vampire Shuck. James Arnold Taylor is Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is in the TMNT movie, The Voice of Leonardo. And then Ashley Eckstein is the voice of Ahsoka Tano, who is also the voice of Ahsoka in Star Wars Episode Nine, which I didn't even know she was in it. But I guess maybe we just kind of hear her voice in one of those like Force visions or something like that. I don't. I don't really it's, know. I'd have to go back and watch. I don't want to like play a spoiler here, but if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening for thirty seconds. In Episode Nine, when she's like dead. And like they're all talking to her to bring her back to life. This is near mm-hmm. the very end of the movie. She's one of the voices that's along with Anakin and, and Obi Wan and everybody. And uh, and everybody like, like you're one with the Force, whatever they're saying. <laughs> I kind of figured it was something like that. I just couldn't remember the exact point because I I only saw it once. I haven't seen it again since yeah. we saw yeah. it in the theaters. But I'll, I'll I will eventually. Yeah. Um, but. So I chose this one and I honestly, I started watching it just because it kind of, it fills in, it does, it does do a really good job of filling in some gaps. Like there's a long time period between episode two and episode three. And this does a good job of kind of explaining, going into more detail as far as what happened and really setting up, as far as I know, really setting up episode three, Revenge of the Sith, when Anakin goes full dark. Yeah. I always felt like the Clone Wars, like with the movie, that there was just they'd never really touched on how impactful the wars were all of a sudden it was the end of the war and i think that's pretty important for us to kind of see like the whole battle for the most part right right so so it's it's cool i enjoy it um it's i have some interest i have some interesting thoughts on it the more that i see it like anakin does kind of annoy me and he did kind of annoy me in the in the movies as well and really, the one thing that I can't get past is really the arrogance of the Jedi. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a, it's a theme throughout the entire show. And like, since you know what's going to happen, it just almost like makes it worse. Where it's like, you guys think you know everything, but you don't know anything. There's yeah, a dark definitely... force shrouded, uh, shrouded behind you and you don't even know it's there yet. They're less sympathetic, I think, the more you see all these other shows. I, mm-hmm. They're not the bad guy, but they are definitely so full of themselves. They don't even realize that what they're doing is not necessarily what the Jedi are intended to do. Exactly. I don't want to get so I don't want to get super deep on this, but we really could, <laughs> right? Or maybe we will. Maybe we will someday. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's in another good in, a, idea. in a different episode, in a different pod. Anyway, well, but speak- if you like Star Wars, check it out. Definitely, definitely, I would recommend it as well. Well, now we're here to do what we're here to do, which is talk about the '90s. So I've already mentioned how much I love this decade in television. Let's talk about why it was so important. What kind of started happening in the 90s is basically there were a lot of different cable services that were created to service special interests. 
right? And so we started having, as opposed to just these these generic cable television channels like HBO, Showtime, whatever it might be, we started having other cable channels pop up that were devoted specifically to one thing. So for example, the Food Network was there for cooking, obviously, and food. Cartoon Network, you guessed it, for cartoons. Nick and Night, TV Land, these are all for old television and, and, and actually even cartoons a little bit too. We had old movies that uh, channels like American Movie Classics, AMC, Turner Classic Movies. We even had the Home and Garden Television Show, which is HGTV. Comedy Central was for, I mean, I could keep going on and on. Animal Planet, Golf Channel. They were all focused on a specific type of person. And as a result, well, they need a lot more programming. Right. And by the end of the decade, almost 80% of American households had access to cable programming through cable hookups or direct delivery by satellite which was also a new thing. Mm -hmm. As the 90s progressed, it became evident that audiences were looking for something new and unusual. Speaking of new and unusual, we've got some categories that were, there was like some, there's a lot of urban humor. We had news magazines, teen dramas were kind of a big thing, like focused specifically on teens, not just having a teen like in the show. Mm -hmm. We had adult cartoons, which... You know, obviously we've got the, uh, and I guess you could call Simpsons kind of this, but really more South Park with right. adult cartoons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's not, let's not forget about the reality television show. The rise of reality TV. Yeah. It didn't Pops. really start in the, oh God, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't start in the, well, it didn't start in the nineties, but this is when it like no, really it reached its peak of popularity. Yep. Um, so let's go into kind of how things changed a little bit. So let's talk about the top 10 shows at the beginning of the decade. So you had number one, Cheers, number two, 60 Minutes, and then Roseanne, A Different World, The Cosby Show, Murphy Brown. And then to round off the top 10, we had Empty Nest at seven, America's Funniest Home Videos at eight, Monday Night Football and then a tie for 10, we had, well, we had the Golden Girls was number 10, but Designing Women, Murder, She Wrote, and America's Funniest People were, were right, right nipping at Golden, Golden Girls' uh, heels. And by the end of the decade, number one was ER, then Friends, then Frasier. <clears throat> Monday Night Football climbs to number four. The, the popularity of the NFL is still soaring. Veronica's Closet at five. We had a show <laughs> called Jesse which I, I had to look up what this actually was. It had Christina Applegate in it. That's why I put that there. We had 60 minutes, minutes Touched by an Angel, CBS Sunday Movie, and also Home Improvement, which I think is a sitcom that's really underrated. I, I was really big into Home Improvement. I think, I yeah, I think so too. Yeah, did yeah, watch, absolutely. Did you, did you watch that? Yeah. I mean, I never really binge watched it or like could say that I would see like full seasons, but like if it was on, I would watch it. And that was, was always... Tim Allen did a great job in that show. And it was always on. I felt like if you're flipping around the channel late at night, whatever it was, it was always somewhere. Yep. Yes, it was. But let's talk. So those are the top 10, but let's, let's talk about some honorable mentions of their, and there are a lot of recognizable shows on this list as well. We have The Simpsons, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Saved by the Bell, Full House. Yeah. And honestly, like we could, we could do a full, a full episode on, almost all of these shows, right? Because all of these shows are so ingrained in our culture and so recognizable. Speaking of which, that 70s show, we already kind of mentioned Cheers a little bit, Wonder Years, 
Married with Children. Classic. We mentioned great I mean, show. Great show, right? <laughs> and, that, and and again, that was on, I believe, it wasn't on. That was on. That was on cable television. Was that on Comedy Central or something like that? I, I don't. I can't remember. I don't. I just remember watching it all the time. Yeah, well, this was before FX existed. <clears throat> it was on a channel like that. We had uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The X Files, big big show. We got The Real World. I watched a and lot then, of that. More I did I watch a lot of, and I I watched a lot of Road Rules too. Uh, Rock and Jock, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Everybody Loves Raymond, Family Matters, Golden Girls. Whose line it is it? Is it anyway? Which both which they're, which they're bringing back apparently. <clears throat> Uh, with the King of Queens, Animaniacs, Unsolved Mysteries. Man, I just I'm, I'm like getting so nostalgic right now. Just name, just listing these off. Charmed, Dinosaurs, Tiny Toon Adventures, Frasier, which is which I gotta tell you, Frasier holds up. If you want to rewatch it, it, it's still you, great. You told me that. Yeah, Tears. Yeah, but Frasier, yes. Yeah, and I know people are gonna be up in arms about that, but I really I, we 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 rewatched Cheers recently in the last year. And then we did Frasier and Frasier, great. Cheers. Yeah, it was all right. The Nanny was also not a favorite show of mine, but a popular <laughs> show in the 90s. Doug, which mm, I'm not sure about that show. Uh, America's Funniest Home Video, Saturday Night Live, which is, spans multiple decades. But the, you had a lot, of, a lot of strong cast members in the 90s. King of the well, Hill. Yeah. Well, let me add real quick to that with SNL. Like, not only were there a lot of cast members, it was strong, but a lot of those cast members went on to do really great things, like star in films and like become like major (laughs) actors and actresses, which is, I think, why Mm -hmm. this decade was so big. Yeah, it was a launching pad for a lot of careers. Mm -hmm. Rugrats, Law and Order, the first Law and Order. (laughs) So, we mentioned ER, Beverly Hills 90210, Darkwing Duck. The list just keeps going, and I actually had to cut this down. We got Hey Arnold <laughs> in live, in Living Color, which oh that that show is fantastic. Speaking of That's launching it. careers, oh my man, Jamie Fox. We got Jim Carrey, uh, Jennifer David Lopez, Jennifer Lopez, David Allen Greer. Like we could keep going all the all way. All the Wayans brothers, all fifteen <laughs> of those those guys. How many there are guys and girls? We had Pinky in the Brain, Garfield and Friends. This show, this next one, like freaks me out, and I didn't do it because I was afraid that I would be scared, like researching it. But it's Twin Peaks, which is a, just a total mind. I mean, it, it it gets you. It's crazy. Dawson's Creek, definitely watched a lot of that in the late nineties. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the Drew Carey Show, Quantum Leap, oh, Scott Bakula, Third Rock from the Sun, a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Beavis and Butthead, Will and Grace, Sister, Sister, an HBO show, Tales from the Crypt, which was creepy. Mm-hmm. Daria, a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead, Star Trek, The Next Generation, all that. I actually think Daria was better than Beavis and Butthead. Again, that could, be, that could be sacrilegious, but it was just more clever. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead was more, they were more, I don't know, fart and poop jokes. I guess. Yeah, they were they were dick and fart jokes, and that was really it. Yeah, but I did really like the South, or I'm sorry, not South Park. I did really like the Beavis and Butthead Do America film. That that's that was a good, a good movie. One. Yeah, that was a good one. Check that one out. <laughs> Goosebumps was big. Celebrity death match. That was that was like the claymation. Uh, Let's get uh, it on. <laughs> and they would just it was just gratuitous violence. They would just rip each other's limbs off and beat them with each other. I mean, it was it was. 
absurd. I watched a lot of Celebrity Deathmatch. I know, it was so stupid and great. <laughs> Batman the Animated Series got Seventh Heaven. I mean, I mean, the, the type of shows here are so back and forth. We've got Violent Claymation and then Seventh Heaven, which is about like a Christian family traversing through school in family life like just i mean it's just such a crazy anyway gargoyles that we got baywatch that was also another very popular different for different reasons type of show Mm -hmm. we got martin i I really like martin a lot walker texas ranger doogie hauser md coach dexter's laboratory blossom where in the world is carmen san diego where on earth is Carmen San Diego, Lois and Clark, and an underrated a show that I really did like a lot. It was kind of underrated. Wings. I really I liked, liked Wings. I liked that show a lot too. I remember that was a show that I could watch with my parents and my brother and not feel awkward. I, you know what I mean? Like the comedy wasn't. Oh, it, oh no, I know. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of these sitcoms, you know, you don't necessarily want to be watching these with your parents because they're a little they touch on things that might be a little bit awkward make the room feel especially the shows on like premium cable premium cable so if it was on like hbo you probably didn't want to watch it with your parents no 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 i I wasn't watching oz (laughs) with my parents no um no legends of the hidden temple which i heard that's making a comeback soon and i still want to be on the show i don't know if they accept adults (laughs) if they do i'm in for sure Bobby's World was big. Dharma and Greg. Ren and Stimpy talking about adult cartoons for sure. Mm-hmm. That, may be, that may have been the first one that really launched everything. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Mad About You. The Magic School Bus. We've got Touched by an Angel. My So-Called Life, which was, I think, only on for one season, believe it or not. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I never, I never watched it. Um, Boy Meets World. Spin City. Ellen, Just Shoot Me, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Party of Five, Melrose Place, Northern Exposure, NYPD Blue, Living Single, and Murphy Brown. I mean, the list I mean, I probably is, watch episodes from all of those shows. I, I was going to say, I, 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 there's maybe, I'd say a dozen out of the almost 100 we just mentioned that I maybe didn't see. That's right. That's, that's pretty indicative of the time that we grew up in. If there are any of these shows that everyone who's listening that really wants us to do like a big time deep dive, nerding out on any of these shows, let us know because I would gladly just basically do forever episodes breaking down every one of these shows. <laughs> There's so many good ones on there. It's ridiculous. But we can't do that today. We can't no. do that today. Instead, we're going to break down two of our favorites. And the first one we're going to start with, which some of you are probably yelling at the well, I don't know what you'd be yelling at. Yelling at your head, your headphones, I guess, or at your a random phone. person while listening your to iPad. your headphones. Uh, well, a big one that was very popular. So rest easy. We're going to talk about Seinfeld. Hooray! Yay! Seinfeld, best show, one of the best shows of all time, honestly, in my opinion, at least. True. The, believe it or not, the original script for Seinfeld <clears throat> wasn't for an ongoing series, but a one-off, ninety-minute special titled "Stand Up That." It was called Stand Up, and it was, it was set to run for one night only um, in Saturday Night Live's time slot. So that was kind of interesting. It was just going to be a Seinfeld stand-up for the most part. Seinfeld was presented with an opportunity to create a show with NBC after this, and Seinfeld actually asked fellow comedian and friend Larry David to help create a premise for a sitcom. 
he began it, it began as a 23 minute plot or pilot all right get it together justin 23 minute pilot titled the seinfeld chronicles it's, it's interesting that you talked about like they came up with a premise but the, and this is widely known as a show about nothing right that's the premise <laughs> The premise is it's a show about nothing. It's genius. It is genius. (laughs) So uh, it debuted, the premiere episode debuted on July 5th, 1989. It ran for nine seasons, 173 episodes on NBC, and the finale aired on May 14th, 1998. So as I mentioned already, it was created by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. It was directed by Andy Ackerman. He did 87 episodes of the entire series he this guy also directed cheers and wkrp in cincinnati which is another show that is fairly underrated big, big in the 80s mm-hmm. and it was also directed by tom sharones who did 81 episodes he also directed a television show called news radio and it stars obviously jerry seinfeld as himself jerry seinfeld michael richards as kramer who was also in UHF, Jason Alexander as George Costanza from Pretty Women, and Coneheads. Love Coneheads. Yeah, I love Coneheads. Honestly, I, I, we, kind of, we kind of glossed over it. UHF, by the way, is, Great movie. is just a See fantastic it. movie. Yeah, it, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's Weird Al at his best, and then you throw in Michael Richards there, and, and he's trying to get his mop. I, I, just, I, I can't say enough about that. <laughs> and if you don't know who Weird Al is, look him up too. Oh, he's fantastic. This show also had Julie Louis Dreyfus as Elaine Bennis, who you, a lot of people know her from Veep now. Had Ruth Cohen as Ruthie Cohen. I had to put her in here because she's actually one of the, she's in almost every episode, and she plays mm-hmm. the cashier at Monk's Cafe. It also starred Wayne Knight as Newman. 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 From, from Jurassic Park and Toy Story 2, just to name a few things. And finally, Jerry Stiller, rest in peace, as in Frank peace. Costanza. Uh, he's, you know him also from the King of Queens. He was in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He, I mean, and he was in a lot of stuff because he had a career well before this. So he had a lot. Him and his wife were a comic duo. Yep. That's how he got his start. But the plot, and this is according to IMDb because I kind of talked about it a little bit where it's really a show about nothing, but... It is the continuing misadventures of neurotic New York City stand-up comedian Jerry Seinfeld and his equally neurotic New York City friends. I guess it's a pretty accurate description. Yeah, I mean, it, it's technically about nothing. Nothing really happens, but things do happen. But there's no, there's no underlying plot. The plot is just basically these four people and how, how really terrible human beings they are. <laughs> yeah, and, and just the constant tr- either trouble that they get into or stuff they have to deal with. And the fact that one episode is basically in its entirety could be about how they go shopping in the mall and how everything that they do, they just hate everybody. And, yep. just, and it's just their commentary. And they just get into, I don't even call it t- like trouble or shenanigans. It's just, they just literally walk around and make observations and just do not like anybody. It's, it's just, no, it's, 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 well, I think and there was one episode where it was, it was, a, I can't remember what it was. And I think it was Terry Hatcher where, Jerry couldn't remember her name and the whole episode was them trying to figure out her name and they never did. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Rhymes with Volvo. Isn't that? that (laughs) That's the one. Yep. Yep. That's the right. That's the one. Yep. Oh man. So some, some nerd facts about this show. There's a lot of really good ones. 
Larry David famously instituted a policy of no hugging, no learning, meaning that the show must avoid sentimentality and moral lessons, and the characters must never learn nor grow from their wrongdoings. And that is 100% true. They are no better in the final episode than they were in the first episode. They are the same, unchanged. Nothing (laughs) pays them ever. You could even argue they're worse. (laughs) You probably could argue they're worse. Um, As Kramer became more popular, his entrance applause grew so prolonged so prolonged that the cast complained it was ruining the pace of their scenes. Directors subsequently asked the audience not to applaud so much when Kramer entered. He would always just burst through the door and everybody yeah. just loved it. Yeah, and as you, you can kind of notice as the, as the show goes on, the, the applause for him entering are definitely getting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. In the pilot episode, Kramer is actually called Kessler as the real Kramer, who is Larry David's former neighbor, Kenny Kramer, was hesitant to let his name be used for the show. Eventually, the real Kramer relented, though he says he was paid just $1,000 for the use of his name in the series. Kramer has since profited in other ways, namely with his Kramer's reality tour bus tour, which is now running for its 22nd year. So is that like a bus tour around? I guess it's like a bus tour around New York. I think it's a yeah, I think it is. It's got to be. I've never been to New York. I'll have to check it out. Here's where the original Kramer is from. That's the Kramer's reality tour. (laughs) He actually, so Seinfeld actually turned down an offer from NBC that would have made him $110 million for a 10th season of the show. $5 million per episode. Which I guess he had enough money. If you've seen comedians in cars getting coffee, he, he, he does comment on things like that a lot. Like, Really, how much money does one need? Like he's so, he's just so cavalier about it, which I, I mm-hmm. which I think would makes him very likable. But also, a lot of people don't like him. But I, I personally like him. I haven't met him in person though, so I just like the character he personifies. Anyway, Seinfeld has made no secret about his love of the number nine. In an interview with Vanity Fair about the show's end, he explained that part of the reason for his decision to end nine seasons was because quote nine is cool. When I was thinking about quitting the show, I thought, nine. People said 10. Why not 10? But 10 is lame. Nine is my number. And then I found out that nine is numerology, in numerology means completion, end quote. Perfect. It's also been said Seinfeld was inspired to end the show after nine seasons by the Beatles, who broke up after nine years together. He just loves that number nine. I kind of love it. Though it's hard to imagine Seinfeld without Jason Alexander as Costanza, Seinfeld actually admitted that Alexander was not his first choice for the part. Seinfeld uh, said that he begged fellow comedian Jake Johansson to take the part, but Johansson refused. At the time, Johansson was a pretty famous stand-up comedian. So I I can't imagine anybody else playing George better than... I I, I can't. No, I can't. There's there's only one George. If you look up up Jake Johansson, too, he just doesn't he doesn't quite fit the mold. I think that the thing about Jason Alexander is it has to do with like his physical presence too, that make mm-hmm. a lot of the jokes land in his, his, you know, he, he's very down on himself. Like he's always self-deprecating. And, and I think you need someone that, that looks a certain way to really pull that off. No. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, staying on the Costanza topic, Michael Costanza, Jerry Seinfeld's friend after whom George is named, filed a $100 million lawsuit against Seinfeld, Larry David, and NBC in 1998, claiming invasion of privacy and defamation of character. Speaking of self-deprecating and all that, 
Costanza claimed damages due to the show's alleged use of use of his likeness. Case was dismissed with, with the judges adding that the statute of limitations on the case had run out as Costanza did not sue within one year of the show's debut in 1989. And I don't think he had much of a case anyways. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. And I don't, you know, it's funny, like, yeah, I guess his, his character is kind of portrayed in a, in a really not necessarily positive way, but also he's such a revered character that I can't imagine if I had my last name was Seinfeld or Costanza, I think it would probably give me more popularity than less. But, well, and honestly, who's going to watch the show and think, oh, it must be named after this guy, Michael. Like, I wonder if this character is based off Michael Costanza. Like, no one's going to put that together unless they, honestly, unless right. they do this research. Yeah, No one will true. ever figure that out. No, you may think like, oh, Costanza, that's the name from, that's the guy's name from Seinfeld. You're never going to think, oh, that must be the guy that inspired Seinfeld. No, that's not going to happen. Exactly. But, but maybe, maybe it was a big deal in the 90s for him. Could have been. Originally, the main female character was supposed to be Claire, a waitress at the coffee shop who would offer Jerry and George advice with their coffee. But when they shot the pilot, this, the person who was the girl, Lee Garlington, um, basically, they didn't pick up her contract. And for the most part, I mean, this, and, and Lee Garlington has been in a bunch of other random things too, like the, the movie Sneakers, Dante's Peak, and Field of Dreams. But I think they just decided that they didn't want the one of the main characters to be the coffee shop. Also, even though they're in the coffee shop a lot, I feel like having a main character that's in the coffee shop almost mandates that they're there all the time. And, and I think what's nice, a lot of the major scenes take place in his apartment or somewhere in New York. Right. Like they don't have to be forced to be there because that's where one of the characters will be all the time. That's the only place you can see this Claire character. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So Larry David was quite volatile in meetings with NBC executives and would often outright refuse to accept their notes and suggestions. He was eventually banned from attending the meetings. I'm sure that's (laughs) shocking. I'm sure that's shocking to everyone knowing and having seen Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I have a feeling that that's basically how, I mean, I know that everyone says this all the time, but I just wonder how much of that is actually acting. I don't think a lot of it is, <laughs> which is why it's so, just so hilarious. So I, I didn't actually know this, but producer, this is kind of an interesting one. Producer and director Steven Spielberg once commented that while filming Schindler's List in 1993, he got so depressed that he would watch tapes of the show's episodes to cheer himself up. <laughs> I think it would. Yeah. And then during the original airing of the finale, MTV aired original cartoons that were specifically timed to fit into the finale's commercial breaks so that viewers could freely watch both of them and not worry about worrying about missing anything. I mean, when you're dict, yeah, when you're, when you're, when you're making other, other stations and, and shows move their programming around to accommodate yours, you know, you've really impacted a lot of people. Mm hmm. When the final episode aired on May 14, 1998, the TV Land Network honored the occasion by airing no programming in the show's time slot. Instead, the network just showed a still photo of a closed office door, as I just mentioned. Like, they just <laughs> they shut their channel down for that Because well, they're, they're not going to compete. No one was going to compete with the final episode of Seinfeld. Sorry. I love it. I love a picture of an office, a closed office door is just, I don't know, <laughs> funny and clever in its own way. So one of the characters, the soup Nazi, played by Larry Thomas, was based on the actual, on the actual owner, 
Al Yegane of a takeout soup business in Manhattan on West 55th Street between Broadway and 8th. Just like in the sitcom, whose soups were known for their excellent quality, but Yegane was also famous for, his, for the unusual way he treated customers. Instead of calling him a Nazi, local patrons called him a terrorist, presumably because they knew Yegane was born in Iran, not Germany. <laughs> Is it funny that I think Nazi sounds better than terrorist? Soup terrorist? Soup I, Nazi? I, I, I'm just saying just based on the climate of, of international relations, even now, I just feel oh, Especially like, now. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. Isn't it, isn't it funny that the word Nazi actually has, like, in my opinion, a less, a less negative connotation than terrorist? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't, but it, it just no, sounds... They're, they're, both, they're both pretty bad. They're both pretty bad, but just, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld actually says, hello, Newman, 17 times in the entire series. I would have thought, I mean, I, I thought it would have been a lot more than 17. Danny DeVito, Nathan Lane... David Allen Greer, Larry Miller, who, if you don't know who he is, he's the dad in 10 Things I Hate About You, Kevin Dunn, who's the dad in Transformers, and Brad Hall were all considered for the role of George Costanza. Hmm. The only person in that list I could, I could be on board with. Danny uh, DeVito. I, I was going to say Danny DeVito, right? <laughs> uh, Larry Miller, though, if you think about him, if you remember he's got, that. He, he's got the look. Yeah, he does have the look. He might be a little bit too too tall or big or something. But, but Danny Vito, I think Danny Vito could have done it. Uh, Danny Danny could have done a good job. But now when I think of him, I think it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Right. Yeah, and I and I don't think you can put that like that. You know, I don't think you can switch Jason Alexander out for Danny Vito into into it's always sunny. I don't think that works. No, you couldn't. No. So speaking of other. Um, Actors that were considered Rosie O'Donnell, Patricia Heaton, Mariska Hargitay, Jessica Lundy, Amy Yazbeck, who was in Robin Hood Men in Tights, and Megan Mullally all auditioned for the role of Elaine Bennis. Yeah, Megan Mullally, that's um, uh, Ron Swanson's wife in real life. Oh, okay. she's, she's also from, oh no, I can't think of the show right now. No, I'll think of it in a second. But yeah, she's in a lot of stuff. I, I, I don't. I also. I don't. I don't think she's. <clears throat> I don't think any of these characters are like silly enough to be Elaine Bennis. <laughs> no. Jason, Jason Alexander originally based his portrayal of George on Woody Allen, which is why he wore glasses. When he realized that George was actually based on Larry David, he began basing his performance on David's mannerisms. Many of the situations in which George gets him. Gets himself are based on David's real life experiences. George was named after Jerry Seinfeld's friend, obviously Michael Costanza. George's middle name, Louis, was an homage to Lou Costello of Abbott and Costello in the Abbott and Costello show, which aired in 1952, which is a major influence on the series. The, uh, one of my favorite episodes, The Contest, was inspired by a real life contest Larry David had with a friend, which to his recollection didn't last very long. This and this this moment, I, just the Kramer going, I'm out, <laughs> like right away. That was actually the 100th entrance of Kramer into Jerry's apartment. Hmm. The puffy shirt used in season five, episode two, the episode named The Puffy Shirt, is currently placed in the Smithsonian. The doll sized replica was included with the fifth season DVD set. 
Kind of say I just remembered the show that Megan Mullally's on. It's Will and Grace. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. One of only this is actually one of only three series in American history to rank number one in the ratings for its entire final network season, which makes sense. This is why they wanted the tenth season. I mean, to have it ranked number one the entire season is crazy. Mm-hmm. The only other two to do that were I Love Lucy in 1951 and The Andy Griffith Show in 1960. And I, I don't want to say that this is a bigger show than those two, but I will say that they def- those shows definitely had less shows to compete with. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the apartment used for exterior shots of 129 West 81st Street, New York, New York, is not actually in New York at all, but it's 757 South New Hampshire Avenue in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but we had a we had a classmate that was in one of these episodes. Do you recall that? No. Pierce. He he and I remember him flying out to LA to go be an extra in one of the episodes. Oh no, yeah, I do remember that. Yep. And I, I do remember thinking, why is he going to LA? The show's in New York. But of course <laughs> they were filming it in LA. So I wasn't very yeah. smart. Larry David was very adamant that every character of the lead quartet have a storyline each episode. And he even charted it out in the writer's room to keep close track of the plots and screen time. The opening music for every single episode of Seinfeld was different. That slap bass and those mouth pops and sighs may have sounded like they were all cut from the same track, but composer Jonathan Wolf made each one of them individually basing them around Seinfeld's opening monologue for the week. It's actually really interesting. That is, yeah. Because there are a lot of episodes, and so to have some type of intro, different intro and sound effects for every single episode is ambitious. This is, I love this, this, this next one. Writer Dan O'Keefe truly celebrated Festivus with his family, <laughs> complete with feats of strength and the airing of the grievances. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't keep together. It was entirely more peculiar than on the show, which I, I don't know how it can be, but doing it in real life, O'Keefe told the New York Times in 2004 there was a clock in a bag, and he didn't know why. <laughs> so they would do feats of strength. Well, what was that? The pole? The pole was one of the uh, Festivus? The Festivus the, pole. Because instead of a tree, tree, it was an iron pole. <laughs> oh, man. I have, I have that written on my blackboard in my basement it's a festivus for the rest of us for the rest of us yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a festivus miracle <laughs> so and our last nerd fact <clears throat> seinfeld's favorite show moment was actually the moment when george pulled out the golf ball at the end of the marine biologist episode i i, I, I don't that. recall that scene oh he, he got, he, well, i'll have to when, check it out it's when kramer is golfing into <clears throat> into the ocean working on his swing and just hitting it into the ocean and then eventually a, a whale shows up that has that has a golf ball in its um blow hole. Hole. yeah <laughs> and george is and he's like and someone goes does anybody know is anybody here a marine biologist and george would tell everyone he's a marine biologist <laughs> that was one, <laughs> like, he was either an architect or a marine biologist whenever he was meeting new people he didn't know and so then at the end of the episode he's telling this grand story at the at the uh, shop at the uh, um, the diner, and he pulls out a title, uh, a, a golf ball, and Kramer goes, <laughs> "Is it a Titleist?" 
Oh man, I didn't do a good job explaining that, but it, that is no, one of right. my favorite. It's one of my favorite episodes. So, see, Seinfeld and I were kindred spirits. We'd probably be really good friends, I would imagine. Similar personalities. Why does this show matter? Well, first of all, I mean, technically, this was very in- innovative because it was a combination of multi-camera and single-camera footage, which single-camera footage you might know, like from Breaking Bad. But it was mm-hmm. a good mixture of that. It also had. Like I don't want to say new and unique, but it was very, it was very indicative of the show—a rapid pace, quick cutting, music-led style. And a lot of shows have kind of were inspired by that. Shows like Arrested Development, Thirty Rock, and Parks of Re- Parks and Rec. And I don't again, this is maybe not the first show to do this, but it definitely is one of the most most prominent ones. The idea of the anti-hero that we kind of mm-hmm. see in shows like Sopranos, <clears throat> like the, these are these are not good people. And I don't even know if you root for them, but you do definitely, I don't know if you empathize, sympathize, or just want to see what next they're, what they're going to do next. But and the anti-hero exactly. was big in this show. And then another big thing was syndication. So big news, Seinfeld is moving to Netflix for a five-year run beginning in 2021. Huge news for me. Huge, huge news. So the terms were not disclosed of that deal, but what we do know is that Hulu paid $130 million for domestic rights for a six-year run, and Netflix, while it's only five years, it's global. So this is a show that is con- constantly still making money. It's, I mean, I, we'd probably have to do some research on like shows' rights that are worth the most, but Seinfeld has to be at the top or near the top of that list with like <clears throat> Friends and other, other shows that you see everywhere and so you think about the royalties that those actors are making and they don't have to do another work a day of work in their lives now and how many how many decades were was was seinfeld on tbs or tnt that's seemed when like we every watched time, it i know like that's like when time, that's when i started watching it a lot was when it was syndicated on tbs and it was just episode after episode after episode after yep. episode just constantly on it was even on like the cw i think <clears> for a little bit or whatever it was called back then wb everywhere mm-hmm. So where does it rank? It's hard to maybe put it, you know, what sitcom, you put it as like best 90 show, best bet sitcom, but we know it had a huge impact. And actually the show's often repeated phrase, yada, 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 was ranked number one in TV Guide's list of TV's 20 top catchphrases, which makes sense. Yada, 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 I ordered the bisque. (laughs) I mentioned the bisque. <laughs> <laughs> you skipped over the yada yada over the best part. No, I mentioned the bisque. <laughs> All right. It's, so that, that's, that's Seinfeld. Seinfeld is a great show. Um, if you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard of it, you need to go start watching it right now. Um, but yeah, where does it rank? It's, it's one of the most popular, not even sitcoms, like one of the most popular shows of all time. Like mm-hmm. across genres, anything. Hundred yeah. percent, great show. Well, so, so, what did I nerd? What what show did I choose? I chose one that I remember watching this show a lot, and I chose The X Files. <clears throat> so, for those of you that don't know, The X Files follows two FBI agents, Fox Mulder, who's kind of the believer, and Dana Scully, the skeptic as they investigate the strange and unexplained while hidden forces work to impede their efforts. And this show aired September 10th, 1993 through May 19th, 2002. That was the original nine seasons. But since then, the 10th season actually came out recently 
in January 24th of 2016 through February 22nd of 2016. So there was a six-episode run. And then there was another 11th season with a 10-episode run from January 3rd, 2018 to March 21st, 2018. I didn't see either of those other... I didn't see the 2016 or the 2018 ones. I just... Mm-hmm. I only I never watched those. I only watched the the original. Well, we should mention too. <clears throat> there were also two feature length films as well. Yes, there were. Um, so it was created by Chris Carter, who also created The Lone Gunman and Millennium, and it was directed by, as most TV shows, a lot of people. But Kim Manners directed fifty one episodes, and she also did directed. Um, Charlie's Angels, the television show, and then Rob Bowman directed 34 episodes, and he actually directed feature films Reign of Fire with Matthew McConaughey and Electra. He probably leaves Electra off his IMDb bio, I'd imagine. But Reign of Fire was really good. Nope, it's on there. (laughs) (laughs) David Duchovny is the main, so it stars him as, again, Fox Mulder. You probably know him from, besides X-Files, Californication, Zoolander, and also Evolution. Jillian Anderson, as we mentioned, plays Dana Scully, who you may also know from The Crown, American Gods, and The Last King of Scotland. And Mitch Pileggi is Walter Skinner, who was in Basic Instinct and Sons of Anarchy. William B. Davis is, is the smoking man. The character doesn't have a name, but he is, if you see the show, you'll understand. And he was also in The Dead Zone and Stargate SG-1. I only really liked, okay, I can't say that. I liked a lot of the episodes, but if the Smoky Man was in it, I was like, I, no one could talk to me. That, that was, because that was the main plot-driven episodes. Whenever he was the main man. antagonist. Whenever you saw him, you're like, oh, it's going to go back to the actual underlying main story of the series. Mm-hmm. The other episodes were kind of, I don't want to call them, I guess they were kind of fillers, right? It was kind of, it was, it was oh, there's a weird case, let's <clears> go investigate it. Right, right. We also have Robert Patrick, who plays John Doggett. You probably know him as the T-1000 from Terminator 2. He's also in Wayne's World and The Faculty. And he was also in True Blood. Was he? Yeah, he's like, I'll see his dad, I think. Okay. It's funny, I was, looking, I was looking him up, and a lot of his appearances are just him playing the T-1000 in, like, different movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, that's what he did in... It's basically what he did. He played a version of that in Wayne's World. That's that's that's. I'm trying to remember what movie is an SNL movie that he pops in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get into some some nerd facts about the X Files. So Chris Carter, the show's creator, his interest in the paranormal was piqued when he read a Pulitzer Prize winning writer psychiatrist harvard medical school professor john e max analysis of a 1991 roper poll survey which stated that at least 3.7 million americans may have been abducted by aliens which is ridiculous so many (laughs) that's so many people that's a lot when asked about his intentions in creating the x-files carter told twitch that quote i'm a child of the watergate era so i question authority and i mistrust it that was in my blood one of my favorite movies is All the President's Men. I also like that movie a lot. The most amazing thing about it, and it's watchable time and again, is that we know the outcome. Watching it is where the entertainment value lies. So I knew I would be exploring these things, though I didn't know I would be doing it for nine years, end quote. 
in a preview of the 1993 fall television line, lineup, Entertainment Weekly declared that, quote, this show is a goner, citing a genre and Friday night time slot as two indicators that the series wouldn't last. Today, it's one of the longest running sci-fi television, one of the longest running sci-fi series in TV history. I think that I thought that was inter- really interesting. That I, I, one of my favorite, don't have it right. One of my favorite things is to read old reviews that critics had for for movies and shows that are considered classics or masterpieces. Mm-hmm. I think it's like Roger Ebert. You, you read some of his old reviews of some of these movies. It's just hilarious how 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 off they are sometimes. Yep. In the early years of the series, Mulder is a firm believer in extraterrestrials, and Scully is skeptical. In real life, that's the opposite. David Duchovny is a big-time skeptic, and uh, Gillian Anderson is actually the believer. And Dana Scully was named after the famous sports journalist, Vin Scully. Mulder is the maiden name of Chris Carter's mother. Yeah, he's, he's drawn from a lot of different influences, Mr. Chris yeah, Carter. Has. When actor William B. Davis first appeared on The X-Files, it was as a background actor with no dialogue. At that time, neither Davis nor the producers knew that he would end up becoming the show's main antagonist. Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan, who also helped to create The Lone Gunman, logged several years as a writer for The X-Files. Among his many credits on the show is season six episode Drive, which stars Brian Cranston as Patrick Crump, a, quote, monster of the week who kidnaps Mulder. Cranston's performance stayed with Gilligan over the years and is what led him to being cast as Walter White on Breaking Bad. That's really cool. That's crazy. See, it's, it's like I tell my students all the time, you never know who you're going to run into. Make a good impression because you, mm-hmm. you, know, you may work with them later on down the road. You never know. Idea. The Lone Gunman, a trio of conspiracy theorists who ran their own magazine, proved popular enough with audiences that they were given their own series in 2001. And that was one of the shows that he, he helped. It was, Lone Gunman was a kind of a spinoff of this one. At 29, Gillian Anderson was the first actress to win an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and a SAG Award in the same year. And the youngest actress to win a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series since Lindsay Wagner won the, won the award at age 28 in 1977 for The Bionic Woman. Yeah, and she's pretty great in that show. She, she's really she good. Pl- she plays a really good grounding agent for mm-hmm. the most part compared to, you know, Mulder just kind of goes off and just flies off on a tangent and she kind of reins him back in. Yep. Mm-hmm. You need the normal person there. <laughs> the famous echoing chord from the theme music was a fluke. Composer Mark Snow accidentally rested his elbow on his keyboard with the echo function on and he liked the resulting sound so much he actually wrote the theme song around it. Happy little accident. <laughs> happy, happy little accidents happen all the time. So this show was actually ranked number two in TV Guide's list of top 25 cult shows ever in the May 30th, 2004 episode, or issue, I guess. And Carter has been vocal about his admiration of Jonathan Demme's Oscar award-winning film, The Silence of the Lambs, and the influence it had on The X-Files. He said, quote, it's not a mistake that Dana Scully has red hair like Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs, Carter told the Smithsonian Magazine. Well, to add on to that, she actually based her, her approach to the role of Dana Scully on Jodie Foster's performance as Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. Ironically, a contractual obligation to the X-Files prohibited her from playing an FBI agent in any other role 
preventing her from being offered the part of Clarice Starling in the Silence of the Lambs sequel, which was called Hannibal. Later, she joined the Hannibal 2013 series as Bedalia de Marier. I butchered that name for sure. But And then keep you know, adding on to the Silence of the Lamb theme in the fourth season episode, Never Again, Jodie Foster, who won the Oscar for her 1992 portrayal of Clarice Starling, provided the voice of Betty, a homicidal tattoo. Yes, a homicidal tattoo. Hmm. That's the kind of show that this was. Yes, it was. It's a very odd, <laughs> very odd show. It's hard to explain. It's about aliens, supernatural stuff, but it's just wacky. It it's kind of yeah, yeah. It's, but it's a wacky but show, it, and it's it's serious, but it's also done in a playful way where it doesn't take itself too serious. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not so dark where they're just killing off people and characters. You know, it, it's it's basically Law and Order for the paranormal activity <laughs> but no, that's not even a very good description because it's, it's funnier than law and order it is i mean it definitely got some humor it's just it's a different type of show but yeah i get they they do add some levity to it it doesn't like you said it doesn't take itself too seriously yeah props from Mulder's x-files office are currently preserved and on display at the hollywood entertainment museum in los angeles according to the museum the famous I want to believe UFO, UFO poster from the office continually had to be replaced as copies kept disappearing from the set. That's something I would probably steal if I had access to it. The poster yep. on display at the museum is reportedly one of the last available copies of the original set used posters. Man, you got to straight Mona Lisa that. Like put it behind like a like a multiple inch bulletproof glass frame and just bolt yep. it to the wall. And don't let anybody take it. Yeah, and obviously that's not what it looks like on the real set, but we're doing this because we need to preserve these pictures. Television history is what Television we're Television history, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, though Anderson and Duchovny are close friends now, that, that friendship, while based on the work they did together, didn't come until after the X-Files ended. Duchovny said, quote, the crucible of doing that show made monsters out of both of us, he told Variety, saying that it wasn't until filming the 2008 movie, The X-Files, I Want to Believe, that the two really clicked. I mean, I, I would imagine working together that closely, you, you kind of go one way or the other. You either are the best of friends or the best of enemies. <laughs> right. And I was, while I was kind of while I was researching some facts about the show, I saw another one that said basically those like Anderson and Duchovny are probably closer than now. They're saying that they're closer than each other than they are to their spouses. Now. Really? Like they're that, they're that close to each other. Now they are really good friends. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. You never know what, how it's going to work out. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of re- prestigious awards. This show has received over its nine year run. And now I guess 11 year run. It's, it's received 62 Emmy nominations with 16 wins. 12 Golden Globe nominations with five wins and 14 SAG awards with two wins. A critically acclaimed show. Critically acclaimed. <laughs> so why does it matter? I, well, I mean, uh, some of the, some of the, um, I think some of the facts kind of said it where it's one of the most popular kind of sci-fi series of all time. And it kind of brought out, and like, I mean, not to say that it created an entire genre, but like, 
you saw a lot of those types of movies in the 90s where like aliens are abducting and it's 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 ghosts it's the paranormal it's it's ufos it's it's really you know, kind of this whole thing around the unexplained and trying to explain or putting facts around the unexplained and you know are there secret things happening behind us that we don't know about and not trusting the government and Era 51 and like all it's just kind of all that stuff so I think it not necessarily brings that stuff to life but it just it kind of gives you a different take on it well and I think a lot of these concepts were you could maybe see in the big screen but they weren't necessarily on the small screen so I think it brought this real niche you know concept of sci-fi and paranormal activity like you said and brought it to television for for nine years in a row and that was just that was just kind of unheard of. And again, it has a lot to do with the indicative of the of the time of the way television was changing, because this couldn't have been a show that would have been very popular on let's let's call it CBS, you know, during the eighties or seventies. I just don't think people would have been tuned into that. They were much more looking. They were looking for more wholesome family type shows and and you know, I guess comedy laughable sitcoms. Mm-hmm. So it kind of came out the came out at the perfect time, and it's really become. A cult classic. Yes, so. it has. So check out the X Files. Before that, though, definitely watch Seinfeld and a lot of other movie or shows that we mentioned on that list. There are just so many great television shows in the nineties that we we probably did the decade a bit of a disservice. But take your pick. Well, but like you said, if any of you feel that strongly, reach out to us. If there's a only, show you want us to do a deep dive in. We're only, we're only human. We're doing our best. Yeah. We can't talk so about that. That's it. That's it. That's the 90s television show. Thank you so much to everyone that's listening. We got to get into our nerd outreach a little bit. But yeah, thank you to everyone who's listening. Thank you to the NHL. This is my thank you today to the NHL for putting together a proposal that I believe was finally accepted for mm-hmm. bringing back the playoffs and hopefully a Stanley Cup run. For your St. Louis Blues, yeah, hoping, yeah. hoping. I mean, there was no, and I read a lot about that proposal. There's no guarantee that the season's going to start, but now they have a plan in place that, if and when we do decide that we can have a playoffs, this is the format we're going to do, and everybody agreed to it. So, let's go. Phase two, people are going to start reporting, start training. Let's go, NHL. Yay, sports. Uh, Yay, sports. Um, so my thank you is to the brave men and women of the CVS pharmacy community. For those of you that don't know, they started, they started I think, this weekend doing – it's a drive-through um, COVID-19 testing. So it's something that they're, they're not used to, but they're, they're, it's, CVS is now offering that, I think, nationwide now, but they started doing it in the local CVSs here in St. Louis this weekend. So thank you to them. Stay safe. And um, yeah, cool. hopefully, hopefully we'll beat this thing. Mm-hmm. Future show suggestions. You got a show? Send it to us via email at nerdsanewcoolpodcast at gmail.com, or you can use the hashtag nerdsanewcoolpodcast on any of the socials. As always, you can like or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Nerd is New Cool Podcast, as well as Twitter at Nerd is the CO2. And where can you hear us? Well, you can hear us everywhere. Stitcher, Apple, 
Spotify, SoundCloud. Just search Nerds a New Cool Podcast. But you're going to like our next episode, too. We've got a really good, uh, amazing guest. We're going to talk about military films with our, with our good friend, Pascal. Look forward to that. Yes, definitely looking forward to that one. So, oh, actually, if I just say military films, uh, I should have actually said Band of Brothers. I wasn't sure if we were going to do something else with him talking about military films. Oh, no. I know we, were, I know we were, I knew we were going to talk about Band of Brothers, but I wasn't sure if we had two on deck. Well, maybe we'll bring him back for military films, but we're definitely talking. We'll have, we're definitely talking Band of Brothers for sure. Well, we'll have to do that definitely because he's well, he's our, he's the best military expert we have. He's our resident military expert, that's for sure. So we'll hear from him. You hear from us in a couple weeks. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.